I'm not even trying to sell you mushroom coffee. I'm trying to offer you a healthier way to drink coffee every day that is like reasonably priced. So coffee that doesn't give you jitters or coffee that doesn't give you heartburn and maybe even boost your cognitive function. Do you want to impact the world and still turn a profit? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to Growth Everywhere. This is the show where you'll find real conversations with real entrepreneurs. They'll share everything from their biggest struggle to the exact strategies they use on a daily basis. So if you're ready for a value-packed interview, listen on. Here's your host, Eric Sue. All right, everyone. Today we have Tero Isocopula, the founder of Forsigmatic, which is on a mission to make medicinal mushrooms some of the world's most researched superfoods more accessible to everyone. Also, they hooked us up, our conference, Marketing School Live, with 300 samples, and everyone went crazy over them. Um, so we're going to be looking to, to get more in the future. So first and foremost, Tero, how's it going? Thanks, Eric. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm having a great time. I just spent a month in Europe traveling uh, on business and now I'm back in LA home so it's nice to sleep on your own bed. Oh I had no idea you're in LA. Where in LA are you? Uh, our office is on Venice on Abakini and we have a little cafe as well there um, so I'm, I'm on the west side of LA. Got it. Okay, that's cool. Wow, I had no idea. So yeah, I mean first and foremost I would love to get a little background on kind of who you are and what your story is. Sure. I'm from Finland originally, hence the very difficult name, Bao. and I'm a 13 generation family farmer. So I grew up on our family farm that we've had at least since 1619. And I learned about agriculture and health through my parents. Um, and then I later studied chemistry and nutrition and kind of uh, ended up particularly working with mushrooms very randomly 14, 15 years ago when I won an innovation award for discovering a rare mushroom. But I've always had a passion for entrepreneurship, doing my own thing, maybe because if you're a little bit crazy, you're on higher ball or something. But uh, I've always wanted to... Uh, have my own business and I had few um, businesses before for Sigmatic and and it's just funny how um, how all things come together at the end. I never thought I would become a mushroom or adaptogen entrepreneur, but here we are. Yeah, success is really never linear, right? No, not at all. Um, it and also funny is when uh, kind of a side tangent, but when when I was like doing business planning, I created this hockey stick of where for Sigmatic could go. <laughs> and funny enough, we met the hockey stick, but uh, on like a five-year basis. But what was funny is like how certain years we were higher and lower. Um, so even within that five-year period, there was a lot of ups and downs. So you never know how, even if the end result is linear, how you get there might not be that linear. Totally. So, I mean, for you guys, I mean, you know, the, the, the business itself, uh, how how i guess i want to talk about a, a bunch of different things right now but i guess what is what makes four sigmata different uh, do you guys have any competitors in this space because as far as i know you guys are the only uh, coffee or mushroom coffee out there yeah um now there's some smaller um competitors that have entered the market since we've been making it more popular uh, but i kind of look at as at what are the consumers using our products for and uh, what are they spending their money on currently? I feel like a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners often see that nobody does what I do and then says, I don't have any com competitors. But where is your target audience spend currently spending money or time to solve the problem that you're solving? And it might be something different. So for us, the competitive companies are so 
are like other better for you wellness companies that are where people are trying to take something for cognitive health. So like being smarter or sleeping better or not getting sick, you know, supporting your immunity. That's, that's the type of competitors we have and we have plenty of them. And what sets us apart is two things. One, most wellness companies in this space either are really hippie woo, which is my background. I come from the woo woo hippie world and then, or they're very scientific and very like highbrow technical. And our whole thing since the beginning is like we're ambidextrous between Mother Earth and modern science. So we do tons of like scientific studies and background work, but we don't force that on. We don't spearhead our communication around that. And then the second thing is most wellness companies create capsules or pills or tinctures or something. And our whole point is is creating new rituals is really hard. So we'd rather elevate your current staples. And so current staples could be coffee, cacao, and things, products you already consume daily. And we're just going to make it more nutrient dense with these um, mushrooms and an adaptogen. Love it. Yeah, I want to go a little deeper in, into into mushrooms later. Uh, so for you guys right now, how do you get how do you guys make money? And uh, what kind of numbers can you share around the business? Sure. Yeah, we, we started overseas, um, um, the business in 2012. And then in 2015, we launched in the US when we also brought the US uh, business to the US. So I have our offices in uh, New York, LA and Helsinki currently, but we still sell into like 65 countries, but pretty much exclusively our focus is on the US market. Uh, we're an omni-channel brand, so we sell our uh, superfood enriched coffees, teas, protein, skincare in in both online and in retail. So our biggest channel is DTC. Uh, we also have a pretty big Amazon business. So we, for example, have the last two, two and a half years, we've had the best-selling instant coffee on Amazon, best-selling coffee substitute and usually a top three hot chocolate. And then we're in kind of classical retailers, anywhere from Whole Foods to um, to Sephora, we're the first food product ever to be sold at Sephora. So omni-channel, um, DTC, Amazon, conventional retail. Uh, we're trying to play wherever the customer wants to find us. We want to be there versus forcing them into one channel only. Awesome. And then what kind of numbers can you share around the business? Sure. Um, we, we're an eight-figure business growing really rapidly. Uh, we don't disclose our sales, but you know, just uh, not just in our industry, but across the board, we're pretty fast growing and um, raise very little money and kind of always trying to keep it, do it very Build a sustainable business in today's world. A lot of people raise a tons of money in certain industries that's required because of the technology part. But I also find a lot of companies end up in a burn rates that are unrealistic to sustain. And if you're not hitting your numbers, suddenly that might cause a down round or whatever, inability to raise more money or whatever challenge. So I never just wanted to go there. I wanted to keep independent and raise really little money. So. Right. I love that. And also like the distribution part, I mean, it's, it's only been seven short years and you're, you're in everywhere. Like you're, you guys are crushing on Amazon, Whole Foods everywhere. And then the other thing is everybody's talking about you guys too. So can you talk a little bit about how you guys got, what worked for you in terms of distribution, in terms of just getting into distribution and also just, just like growing your brand? <laughs> sure. So my dream was to get all Americans drinking mushrooms. And that's a really tall order. And most people's reaction is, A, mushrooms are gross, or why would I ever drink them? And what are the benefits? So, you know, starting something so odd and disruptive 
convincing people in the beginning can be really hard. And there's a lot of challenges around that, especially when you're also an immigrant with a name that nobody can pronounce and you move into America to start a company and you have no employees and no funding. So no funding, no employees. You're by yourself in America trying to get people to drink mushrooms. Like that's pretty hard. Yeah. But what that forces you is sometimes when you have, if especially if you're not in a rush, if you have a really big, difficult business situation, that forces your thinking to get better. If you join a market that is already booming and you suddenly catch a really good market situation, that's a lot easier. But that sometimes entrepreneurs become sloppy and they don't like clarify on how to how to actually create a, a great business. So for me, it was it was first realizing that convincing retail buyers at Kroger Target is really hard when there's no market for mushroom beverages. So if I go to them and they look at market sizing, I'm not going to get into Target. So why even try? Versus going to places where people already understand partly the value of mushrooms, kind of talking to the early pioneers or positioning the product, like I said, about the elevated wellness is like, I'm not even trying to sell you mushroom coffee. I'm trying to offer you a healthier way to drink coffee every day that is like reasonably priced. So coffee that doesn't give you jitters or coffee that doesn't give you heartburn and maybe even boost your cognitive function. So that's kind of the type of value prop that I try to create and that caught traction. And yeah, initially it was D to C because it was easier to convince consumers than retailers. And then later retailers caught on to the trend. So yeah, that's how it kind of evolved in the U.S. Cool. It kind of sounds like a like a bottoms up approach. Like in, in in software, you know, a lot of people are taking this freemium approach. Like HubSpot, it might be free, and then all of a sudden, then the whole enterprise buys it, right? So is it you know you start with the consumers first, and then all this fanfare happens around it, and then the retailers take notice. Is is that kind of what happened? Yeah. Or um, if you want a hardware example, I think that's what happened with Apple in corporate settings where. PC was absolutely mandatory everywhere until the employees started requesting that I want to use Mac versus PC at work. And then the corporations were forced to kind of move from PC more towards that. So, yeah, exactly. Um, it would have been hard to convince um, a big buyer before you had proof of concept versus getting the bottoms up approach, getting the kind of consumers excited first. Got it. Awesome. So I, I want to take a step back around um, the, the benefits of mushrooms because I, I think you wrote a book called Healing Mushrooms. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So Healing Mushrooms and then you have other books too, right? Yeah, I wrote a book, uh, a chill. Uh, first book was a philosophy book. Second one was a cookbook. And then I wrote a children's book. So pretty random. Um, they all have a theme though. But yeah, the benefits of mushrooms, uh, a lot of people are mycophobic, so they're scared of mushrooms, and there's like cultural reasons for it. But they, uh, mushrooms or the kingdom fungi is one of the major kingdoms in biology. There's five or six of them. And it basically this planet wouldn't operate without fungi. And for us humans, you know, roughly 40% of all pharmaceuticals are derived from mushrooms. Penicillin is the one that people would know. But out of the 20 best-selling drugs like in the world, like 10 utilize fungi. So they're incredibly well studied for human health. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of different benefits on the top mushrooms. But the ones that there's probably the most amount of research and most amount of excitement to people is uh, immune support, supporting focus and cognitive uh, aspects, and then stress reduction, kind of, kind of these so-called adaptogenic properties. So those are probably the most exciting. So helps you prepare for the day and not get sick, helps you perform at work, 
and helps you relax and rejuvenate at in the evening. So that's kind of the main benefits of these mushrooms. Got it. And so I, I think there's another thing I, I was reading a, an interview that you did. Um, so one thing is you make sure for you personally that you that you're always taking care of your gut, right? Do, do you think mushrooms factors into that? Because I'm not a mushroom expert by any means. Yeah, that's how it actually supports immunity is mushrooms can be prebiotics or food for the gut, which is often an easier way to improve your gut health is prebiotics versus probiotics. And then the, the other part is that the most active uh, active compounds in these mushrooms really support the gut biome. So, uh, yeah, there a lot of their benefits come from positive effects on the gut health. Right. Okay. And then now, now there's this whole, um, you know, it's, it's getting bigger and bigger. I was, I was at uh, TED last April and um, this guy named Rick Doblin was talking about uh, psychedelics and it's getting bigger and bigger, right? So magic mushrooms, what can you speak to around magic mushrooms? I've actually never done them yet. Well, magic mushrooms are often particularly the most common family of psilocybin mushrooms. There's many kinds. So there's not just one magic mushroom. There's many kinds. Think of like, there's many kinds of tomatoes or dark leafy greens. They've been around for a long time, so we know about cave paintings. Um, we know that they've been part of our ancestors' life. But if something is part of our ancestors' life, doesn't mean that we have to consume it. You know, maybe stoning was part of what our ancestors did as well. Right. So who knows about that? But um, they have been part of our life, and unfortunately, uh, in my opinion, unfortunately, they currently are quite illegal in most countries. There are some exceptions. But uh, there's more and more research now coming from credible universities, from Imperial College in London, uh, John Hopkins and NYU here in the U.S. And there's a lot of actually coming in the next couple of years being published. So I think we're learning more about them. So far, they're non-toxic. So basically, there's no uh, lethal dose of taking these magic mushrooms. And then you can't really get addicted to them. So you build tolerance to it. So technically they're non-addicting and completely safe, no lethal dose. And, but it could land you in jail right now. So you gotta, you gotta be in places where it's legal. I'm actually an advisor at the world's first legal psilocybin center that's in the Netherlands called Synthesis. Uh, but there's very few places where you can take them legally currently. And a lot of them are pretty shady actually. So I'm um, not have medical supervision. But why people are interested in them is the studies so far come out are incredible, saying like over 50% of people feel like in taking these magic mushrooms is one of the single most meaningful experiences in their life, like comparable to the birth of their first child. And, and a lot of use it for if they are addicted to smoking or alcohol, people say that they use it for, for mood and, you know, happiness. But I think more research is needed to fully know their benefits, but they, they don't seem to be, they're non-toxic and uh, non-addictive. So there's a lot of safety around them. Right. Yeah. I, I think, um, so, you know, with, for, I mean, for me, like a top moment would be around MDA, even though MDMA is not a, a psychedelic, mm -hmm. right? And so um, that's why I'm totally open to eventually one day when it's legalized or um, where if I go somewhere legal, try the magic mushrooms, uh, in addition, of course, to Four Sigmatic. Um, the other thing I want to talk about real quick, just to backtrack, for, just so people get an understanding, because when I heard about Four Sigmatic in the past, I was like, sounds really complicated to make mushroom coffee, but literally it's just open a pack and then pour hot water in, correct? Yeah, exactly. And we also have a pour over for the ones or people who like a French press. So we have also a ground version. So you have an basically instant coffee or ground coffee. You prepare it exactly the same as you would prepare normal coffee. 
And I think that it doesn't taste at all like mushrooms, but you be the judge of that. Yeah. I saw I saw a matcha flavor too. I don't know if we got one of those, but I, I'm a I'm a tea guy, so I I'm gonna go try that one. So yeah, yeah, we have a matcha one. It's matcha is really healthy and a good alternative for people with coffee or instead of coffee. Love it. Cool. Well, you know, those of you that listen to Marketing School podcast, come to the next conference. Um, and anyway, so the other thing I wanted to talk about is when I first heard of Four Sigmatic, I think it was on the Tim Ferriss podcast actually. So can you talk about how podcast ads? have performed for you and why you even decided to, I mean, cause that, those are big time podcasts that you, that you, that you're on, right? So, um, kind of what's the logic behind it and how has it done for you? Yeah, we work, uh, with probably about hundred podcasts in our, uh, in our time. And it's one of our biggest acquisition and marketing channels. It's actually one of the only paid marketing we do. So there's some really big ones like Joe Rogan and Tim Ferriss, but then there's a lot of like smaller and medium sized podcasts as well. And podcast has been incredibly well good for us for probably for a few reasons. One is that our product is obviously sounds very odd, like mushroom coffee. So that requires a lot of education and you can't just show an ad and I'll buy it. Like it just probably doesn't work like that. So with podcasts, there's a, there's a longer explanation. There's a trust with the host. Um, but yeah, education is big. And that's why we also feel more ethically okay in sponsoring podcasts because we're supporting new media, free media, basically all this education that is coming out through podcasts that now everybody for free will have access to this amazing information. So from an ethical point, if you have to do some sort of marketing, I would rather do podcasts because it's adding goodness to the world versus just the billboard doesn't necessarily add anything to the world. It probably subtracts, but podcasts are doing, doing good for the world. So supporting and uh, the host that works so hard on creating the content. So yeah, education is big piece. And then secondly, I think they're still so undervalued. So as a marketer, you could have a great marketing source, but it's, if, if it's overpriced, you know, your, whatever your Super Bowl ad, it's a, probably a great marketing tool, but it's so overpriced that how are you going to get ROI? So I just was a fan of podcasts and we were early on it and probably got, you know, um, pretty good value since not a lot of advertisers were doing it at that moment. I love that. And so, yeah, I do agree. A, it's, it's over or it's undervalued for sure. And it's, it's still very nascent. Um, I think there's only Mm -hmm. 700,000 podcasts in the world versus like, I think it's over a billion blogs. So now is still a good time to get in. And I I guess, um, they, they are, here's the other thing. Like you have, um, I think this is genius from a marketing perspective because you have like a a Joe Rogan or a Tim Ferriss basically being your spokesman. The trust is already established. And you know, the way he talked about it was like, oh man, like I really need to get it right. And that's, that's, that's how I heard about you guys. When you are, you could just give us a range, but when you are doing podcast advertising, uh, what kind of CPMs are you paying right now? Before going to that, I just want to also highlight is podcast is also amazing because it's not that commercial yet. So none of the hosts that we work with will advertise products that they don't actually like, especially the bigger ones like Tim and Joe. They're never going to talk about a product that they don't actually like and enjoy. And that trust goes really far. And uh, we don't even give the host something to read. We just say, talk what you want to talk. And I think that's a big trust factor where, and then when you come to CPMs is they're all over the place. I think from, to $65. So there's a lot of factors that go into it. One is obviously quality, what kind of audience you have, how engaged and captive that audience is. So that's a huge factor. 
Or how big is your own other channels outside of the podcast? Are you a big name? So if a celebrity starts a podcast, I'm sure they can charge a higher CPM straight out of the gates because they have more of a halo effect in their name and brand beyond just the podcast downloads. So the personal brand of the host does matter in the pricing. And then the big thing is how is that counted? So there's a huge factor in like, how do we count that CPM? So some most promise a download amount that is very conservative. So they will say that we will have this many downloads, this many hundred thousand, we'll get hundred thousand downloads, but they know they're probably going to get 150, but they just want to promise hundred. So they definitely deliver because they have to deliver on what you paid for. So they always are conservative, but then the CPM is a little bit higher, but the reality, what you get is might be actually 200,000 downloads. So then the CPM, you pay 20 bucks or 30 bucks, but actually you were paying 10 or 15, but huge variance between uh, host and the podcast. So, and uh, the bigger it is tends to be that then the prices kind of become slightly lower, but, but the volumes, yeah. Just so everyone knows, CPM is cost per thousand impressions. So if, if a podcast gets like 100,000 downloads a month, you just do like 100 times, let's say a $65 CPM. So that podcast might make $6,500 a month. So quick lesson there. How do you go about, and maybe it's someone on your team, but how do you guys go about sourcing and, and kind of uh, selecting the podcast that you want to work with in the first place? Yeah, we have just one person who is dedicated to these podcasts and partnerships. And uh, he's very engaged in the community, goes to conferences, just loves podcasts and just chats. So in the beginning, it was us sourcing by our target audience, like what are the podcasts that our best customers listen to? That's how it started. And uh, me actually being friends with some of them already outside of the podcast world. And then now it's more like often other hosts will refer their friends say like, Hey, my friend started a podcast. It's doing really well. Or they say that I went as a guest to this podcast. They're doing really well. You guys should chat. So those are often how like to reference that happens. And sometimes podcast hosts will reach out because they want to only work with brands that they actually enjoy. So they reach out to us. It's like, guys, love your products, drink them all the time. I see you guys are sponsoring some other podcasts. Uh, we should chat. And that's how it sometimes also happens, which I love because it comes super organically. Like you don't have to force anything on. So love it. Cool. So a couple more questions and then we'll, we'll work towards uh, wrapping up here. But uh, last couple of years, uh, new trends, right? So we, we got mushroom coffee, we got kombucha, we have even cricket bars, right? So what are some other trends you can speak to around food that you think are interesting? Yeah, food, uh, like anything else, has this hype cycle and not everything crosses the chasm to the mainstream market. And it's actually pretty exciting to see kind of the innovation that comes out on more random things. Uh, right now, some of the things that I'm a huge believer, there are often actually things that have existed for a long time. But for me, seaweed is one of the best wild foods you can get, kelp. Uh, I think probably for many people, the easiest way to consume it is sprinkle kelp or something like that on your salad, or have kelp jerky. Um, so that might be something pretty exciting. I think in health in general, right now, the tracking is having a second wave. So tracking, quantifying yourself. I particularly like the aura ring, but the whoop bracelet is also pretty popular. You measure your sleep or your um, heart rate variability, particularly to know how your nervous system is doing. I think that's pretty exciting. You mentioned psychedelics, but psychedelics are definitely having a moment for, I mean, now the CBD and marijuana thing is is has gone through a real hype cycle. CBD went through insane, and I think it's kind of calming down a bit. 
And I think psychedelics are about to come next. But yeah, we're still living in the world of CBD and anything. You buy anything and you get CBD. But people are realizing that the science says is that like having 10 to 20 milligrams of CBD does no good. You should take like three to 500 milligrams of CBD. And, and they're realizing that they're buying these expensive drinks that don't have any effect on them. Um, the dosaging is just too small. So kind of I think that hype cycle is coming to an end and they need to evolve it to become more sustainable. You said, okay, I'm literally just looking at my Thorn CBD right now, um, and you said 300 <laughs> milligrams. So I have, uh, I don't even know if this is correct. It's, it's so hemp in- extract, uh, seed and stock is 990 milligrams. Is that the same thing? Yes. So that would be a very high dose and that would be good. Um, versus a lot of the beverages that you buy will have 10, 20 milligrams. And there's studies even that like you take 160 milligrams in a, double blinded placebo study and people don't get any effects out of 160 milligrams. So, but I think with time now that it comes more popular, the pricing will go down. So right now it's too expensive and dosages are too small, but I think over time there will be high enough dosing because, because there's a lot of studies on marijuana and the potential benefits, but I think the current solutions offered to us probably not sustainable or, you know, supported by research. Yeah. The Thorn CBD, by the way, uh, this is not a podcast ad, but Thorn CBD, I, I've been taking it for like two months. Uh, it has taken away my lower back pain. So yep. that's what I that's what I use it for. It's great. But be careful with with, with CBD. You know why? Because one time I was on a, a founder's retreat. My friend gave me a CBD pill. I had THC in it. I got high as a kite for eight oh, hours. And that it happened was to terrible. me as well. Yeah. I had to cancel a podcast interview once because I in the morning I was also traveling a lot. And I flew from uh, Finland to the U.S. And it's like a long flight with connection. So my back was also hurting. So in the morning, I took CBD and it said there's no THC. And I was so high for <laughs> 12 hours because it's kind of an edible dropper. So I was, I was, it was just not, I had to cancel meetings. It's and the so worst kind of high. It, it kind of is. And, and especially when you're not expecting it and you don't want it uh, at that point. So but yeah, Thorn, um, I have no financial gain or affiliation with them, but they are, they are on one of the more credible supplement brands and, and they have, they do their work more diligently than many others. So it's a good brand for a lot of other stuff as well. Uh, no affiliation with them, but yeah, try at your own risk. Your mileage may vary. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so going back to the business real quick, and I want to come back to the the, the kind of lightning round questions. Uh, is there any struggle you face? You talk about the ups and downs. Uh, what's like the biggest struggle you face while growing for Sigmatic? Well, like I mentioned, is when you have a disruptive idea, you'll find a lot of naysayers that will say that well, nobody will ever drink mushrooms. They will never go anywhere. And being an immigrant where like opening bank accounts was so problematic, I couldn't rent an apartment because I didn't have FICO score. When you move here, you don't have any FICO score, not even a bad one. So those are the limitations. But I think the biggest one that is more relatable to everyone is is really the scaling. There was a point of like tipping point when our company started growing really rapidly and and building processes and hiring people while you're growing really quickly. So uh, I think we grew at times too quick and didn't have enough time. So for processes and people and hiring and and there was like a year year and a half period when everything was breaking so i think once you start to get traction i would drive down all paid marketing and kind of calm down to make sure that you can have sustainable growth and uh, that's really valuable but at the same time now that if i look at the cpas and cpms that people are paying online to acquire customers 
I kind of do wish that three years ago we would have been even more aggressive and acquire customers <laughs> at yep. that point versus now. But, you know, pros and cons. Um, I wish we could still pay the CPAs that we used to today. But I, I think it's the right move. Um, because they say like every every time you double like fifty percent of the things you have break, um, maybe even more than yep. that. So uh, definitely the right move in my opinion. Even though I'm a marketer, one of the things you talked about before we started the interview was um, your passion points around um, just people being more well-rounded, right? And you mentioned the word polymath. So what does that mean exactly? Polymath is someone who is interested or knowledgeable about number of subjects versus just one. So. So in often right now we're we're focused on somebody is X, Y, Z, and that just they're kind of pigeonholed into that silo and versus the old Renaissance man's used to be um, Da Vinci is the one that everybody mentions or Benjamin Franklin is another one in the US who who were able to do multiple things. But I feel like for entrepreneurs in the very beginning, you are a hustler. You're trying to show product market fit. Once you've identified product market fit, more of your time should go from doing to thinking. So what's the kind of, I kind of look at this doing to thinking ratio, even within my organization. So the higher you're in the organization, the more thinking you should do and less doing. And the lower you're in the organization, the more doing you should do and less thinking. Where both should always be doing both. You should never be an ivory tower CEO who never does the actual work. And you should never be a a rank and file employee who never thinks about their own work. So, but there's a balance of time spent. And I feel like when you're stuck in your silo and your domain knowledge, be that uh, mushrooms or software as a service or <clears throat> whatever is your niche, then often you get stuck in thinking and innovation slows down. And uh, there's even like this theory from Rene Girard of mimetic theory, how actually the more information is here available and the, in the Western world, the more and more we're pigeonholed to our thinking. So that's why the idea of a polymath, somebody who studies multiple things that are not seemingly relevant, I feel like become better entrepreneurs and first and foremost, better people. I think an example might be you as an entrepreneur, right? Because you wanted to go into business and then you combined what you knew from mushrooms growing up in, in, in a farm and, you know, becoming who you are today and just continue to get better at things around you, right? Like optimizing your sleep, things like that. Would that be like a, a credible example? Yeah, or I would say, I guess, Elon Musk uh, from a modern example is like, hey, you have a space company and a car company and you did, uh, you know, uh, online payments. So those seemingly are not aligned or <clears throat> out of, I, I guess both of the podcasts that bigger podcasts we work with Tim Ferriss or Joe Rogan. I feel like uh, Joe particularly is like an, a perfect example of a polymath who's just interested in a lot of stuff from like bow hunting to MNA to the philosophy, to the space, to psychedelics, to many things. So those kind of people have can then transport knowledge from other industries to to their own main domain and through that drive innovation that otherwise wouldn't exist versus following what everyone else is already doing. Love it. All right. Two more questions from my side. What is one new tool that you've added in the last year that's added, added a lot of value to your life? So you cannot use the Aura Ring because you used that already. By the way, that one is great. <laughs> um, but is there anything else like that, like a Peloton bike or even an app? Yeah, there's actually, um, there's been a few. So um, for me, I, I would say, Right now, I'm looking at really simple things that I think a lot of people already use, such as uh, Spotify playlist. 
I've had Spotify for 11 years. I've never really paid for it, but I've realized it again, like kind of a full circle, how beneficial music can be for productivity and happiness. You just kind of have to curate it harder. And I realized that I had a lot of friends who spend a lot of time on music and uh, taking their playlist. And I just find the Spotify a very easy way of sharing music mm-hmm. between friends and playlists that drive certain patterns, so to say. So that's, I mean, so simple music, Spotify, but it's been, it's been very helpful for me to, um, to actively use music for happiness and productivity. So you, are you saying you connect your Spotify with like Facebook, for example, so you can see your friends and you just look at their playlists? No, I don't have Facebook. So I do it kind of one by one. I go to people that I know in my social group and I'm like, look, what's a playlist that you like? What, when do you use it? What was constructed? Those people are usually very thoughtful. So they have playlists for meditation. They have playlists for um, socializing, for productivity. So I go specifically to people that I know that curate playlists and are experts in that versus me trying to figure it out. Is there anything off the top of your mind, like one playlist that you recommend that? Like I have my Spotify open right now. So is there anything you can recommend (laughs) where I can just search and find it and add it? I'll send a couple to you afterwards. So, okay, uh, that sounds good. And then we'll share it in the in the show notes too. What is one must-read book you recommend to everyone? For marketing, I really like Paul Arden. He was a creative director at Saatchi and Saatchi. He wrote, uh, I think, three books. Um, the book, Whatever You Think, Think the Opposite, is a great book for creativity and marketing. So I think he also has a book, It's Not How Good You Are, It's How Good You Want to Be, which is a marketer's kind of view on self-development, I guess. But yeah, whatever you think, think the opposite is is a very, very good book uh, for innovation and uh, marketing. That's awesome. All right, so Tedo, this has been amazing. What's the best way for people to find you online? Yeah, I'm, I'm horrible online. I don't have Facebook or anything like that. I do have a private Instagram. It's I am Tero, T-E-R-O. Um, so I use... I post bad photos on Instagram, so if that's for anyone. But normally for actual information and knowledge and some sort of mushroom wisdom, uh, for Sigmatic in all channels, so F-O-U-R-S-I-G-M-A-T-I-C, so all the Instagrams and YouTubes and online.coms. All right, wonderful. Thanks so much for doing this. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Growth Everywhere. If you loved what you heard, be sure to head back to growtheverywhere.com for today's show notes and a ton of additional resources. But before you go, hit the subscribe button to avoid missing out on next week's value-packed interview. Enjoy the rest of your week and remember to take action and continue growing.